All right, are we ready? Mm. I feel good about one to four, but I'll probably lean more on you for five to eight to kind of carry the narrative just because I just read it. I feel like I've been carrying the narrative for like 40 something weeks now. Yeah, so you have. So really, I'm saying more of the same from you. From <laughs> more of the same. Just hop on these shoulders, yeah. Ross. Uh, I'm going to carry you, you can, to prosperity. If you can give me the same performance that you've been given this whole time, <laughs> five to eight, I think we'll be fine. Look, if you can just keep on coming up with those thesaurus words, accolade. Like accolade. Yeah. Then, yeah. That's why you're here, buddy. You're the eye candy. <clears throat> I know I am. Somebody's got to do it. It ain't easy. Hello, friends, and welcome to Armchair Theology. Alongside Clay Farrington, I am Ross Furio, and this week, this is another week, Clay, where we get to jump into a brand new book. Brand new book, brand new start. It's a good day to start over. If you have just joined us, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. If you got friends that you think need to read the Bible, you look at them and you go, you know, that's someone right there who probably needs to read the Bible. I mean, let's be honest, all your friends need to read the Bible. Yeah, so, but some uh, of your friends more so than others. Some may need it more than others. Well, the way I look at you, Ross, yeah, you need to read the Bible. <sighs> Listen, I'll be more. the first one to tell you I need it more than others. Share it with them. Uh, post it up on, I don't know, the old Twitter or Facebook or all whatever. All that social media stuff. Yeah, the Snapchats that kids do these days and the TikToks. Throw it up there. Listen, I mean... We're well on our way, and if you've been sticking with us, we're we're thankful for you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for reading with us. Thanks for uh, for commenting and sharing. And uh, new books are good times to doing start all over, that stuff. aren't they? It's yeah. like a fresh start, even though it's really the same story that's carrying over, right? Uh, but it's a good time to start over. Well, let's uh, talk about that then. So we are going from First Kings to Second Kings today, and you know when this was written, as I understand, it was one book, right? Or it might yeah, have been two that's, scrolls that that's are considered one that, volume. That's everything that I've read. I don't know what constituted the break. It's kind of the same way with First and Second Samuel, mm-hmm. and I would guess First and Second Chronicles, even My though we haven't gotten there yet. My bet is going to be that it has to do with how long a piece of parchment scroll is. That's my guess. Yeah, because really it would make more sense for First Kings to end with the ascension of Elijah, but it doesn't. It's one of the first things that happens in Second Kings. Yeah. So there's stuff like that where it's like, uh, but it ends more with sense the death the of Ahab, here. right? It does. That's what it ends yeah, with. Yeah, which so is Ahab a little, has just died. A little bit of closure because remember how wicked Ahab was. Yeah, nobody liked him. Um, so there was some good closure there, and then when we start Second Kings, there's you'll see right. I mean, there's a transfer of power between one prophet to another. Yep. Yep. Okay. So chapter one uh, begins with a judgment on Ahaziah, which was the son of Ahab who became king after him in Israel. Remember, we're in a split kingdom. So when we say Israel, we mean the northern kingdom. Yeah. And and just a heads up too, it's about to get a whole lot more confusing with who's in power in Judah and who's in power in Israel because the names are about to be either very similar or the same and the timelines are going to get closer together with the folks that have really similar names. So just 
again, it's going to be hard to keep straight if you're just listening. It may be a little easier to keep straight if you want to keep it straight, if you just kind of tack along with us as much as you can. So Ahaziah had fallen, it says, from like through the lattice of his upper room. Like, so he took a fall. He had an injury. And so he sent uh, you know, a servant or whatever to go consult Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. And right off the bat, somebody's ears are perking up because, hey, Baalzebub, that seems like a, a name I've heard before. Yeah. And I mean, it's a pagan god. Yeah, so I'm not sure when later on Christians, maybe even even Jews, connected the name Beelzebub with Satan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, here it's just here it's the just God a pagan Akron. god. But if yeah. you read some later Christian texts, that name is used yeah as a way to refer to Satan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, uh, Eli Elijah. Right. Catches, we're still, we're with, still with Elijah. We're still with Elijah. He's still on the still scene. Alive. Yeah, he he catches wind of all this. Uh, the angel of the Lord tells him, and he and basically says, "Look, go tell Isaiah. Is it because there's not a God in Israel that you have to go talk to the God of yeah. Ephraim? What the heck, dude? Yeah, uh, I'm right here. Why why don't you come ask me? Mm-hmm. So basically, Elijah goes to him and he says, "Yeah, you're not going to recover from this. Oh yeah, but first, this gets good." He sent a captain to go get Elijah, right? Is this where is is this where there's fire? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the yes. king so the king sends a captain to go get Elijah. Um because Elijah had had run into his servants on the road and said, Go back, tell your king he's gonna die. And so who was it? It was like, Oh, well, there's this guy wearing you know, like Oh yeah. No, this is so hair. good. Yeah the, yeah. the the king's like, Well, who was it? And they're like a hairy man, a, a hairy man with a leather belt, and he's yeah. like Elijah. Elijah. <laughs> it made me wonder, like, what what do people say about me where it's like, oh, that's Ross. Totally Or, or what do they say about you? John the Baptist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like, oh, oh, he's hairy and has a leather belt? Yep. Oh, Elijah. That's Elijah. So go get him. And so he sends a commander, and the commander goes, man of God, come with me to see the king. And Elijah says, well, if I am a man of God, may fire drop from heaven and just consume you. And, and then it show does. enough. <laughs> <laughs> show enough. This is like, uh, uh, I mean, the first thing that came to my mind is the Game of Thrones scene when the dragon is just like, just scorching Torching the whole them. army. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely a who is wearing the pants moment, right? And so then it happens again with a second the commander. The exact same thing, right? The commander comes up to Elijah, commands him to come down and come with him, and he, Elijah says the same thing. Exact same word. Well, I'm actually a man of God. Let fire come down and consume yeah. you and your men. Let's all find out right now. And then it happens. And then the third one shows up, and he's like, he's like, please, please, please don't call fire down from Oh, heaven. man of God, please let my <laughs> life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Yeah, so he did, and this is when he went with him, and then he said the same thing that we've already heard. Is there no king in Israel that you have to go to the king of Akron, and surely you're not going to make it through this? And uh, and so it says, because Ahaziah had no son, now now's where it's going to get confusing right this, this is where the, the NIV names, says yeah. Joram became king and I think Joram is his brother because later he's also named a son of Ahab of course that might not mean that exactly but yeah I, it, I didn't go back and look and I don't remember yeah it says it says brother right so Ahaziah dies according to the word of the Lord 
His brother Jehoram succeeded him as king in the second year of King Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. And so it depends where your English translation draws from. As I understand, the Hebrew name is Jehoram. In Greek, it was changed to Joram. And that, like you said a minute ago, gets confusing because there is also a King Jehoram in is no in Judah. There, right now, yeah. where we are in the narrative, there's a King Jehoram in Israel, and there's a King Jehoram in, in Judah. No, the king in Judah is still Jehoshaphat. Jehoram becomes king at the end of our time today. We're going okay. to talk about that. Okay. But, right. but yeah, it gets it's just nuts. So sloppy. Anyway, very sloppy. Uh, so uh, Jehoram becomes king. But then we, you know, we walk away from the kings just for a minute to see the story of Elijah being taken up. And you guys are going to be familiar with this. And this is, you know, over and over again, we've seen transfers of power between kings. Right. This I don't. I don't think we've seen a transfer of power between prophets yet. I don't. I don't remember. This may be the first one, where there's a clear "you are the successor to this prophet." Yeah, to someone who is just a prophet, not like Moses to Joshua, who right. you know kind of right. served as a prophet and as a leader and things like that. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. I think you might be right. So you guys remember the story. Uh, Elijah and Elisha catch wind that today God is going to take Elijah up. And so they, one of the things I didn't write on the board, but I remember uh, noting is that the the journey that they take is exactly backwards from the entry into the promised land at the beginning of the book of Joshua. I saw you put that on Twitter. I, that's fascinating Like they, they, I can't remember the city name. Is it Bethel? Something like that. So they go to the city first. They, yeah, they went down to Bethel. And then, they, and then they cross the Jordan, and it dries, just like it did for Joshua and the army. Right. And, and you know, then they go to the other side of the Jordan, which is mm-hmm. where uh, Joshua and Moses and all had posted mm-hmm. up in Deuteronomy. And, uh, and that's where... Elijah is taken up, and we've kind of skipped the part where there's like this whole band of prophets that goes with them, and the prophets keep nagging Elisha like, hey, did you know that God's going to take Elijah today? Hey, and he keeps telling them, okay, stop talking about it already. I don't want to think about this. Right. Yeah. So they get out there, and Elijah tries to get Elisha not to come with him, and then he says, no, 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 I want to go, and then he, he says, is there anything I can do for you? And you guys remember this probably, that Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Which is probably something that you've heard before, right? This moment right. where Elisha asks Elijah for a double portion. Yeah. And Elijah says, well, I'll tell you what, I, that's not for me to grant, but if you see me taken up, then it'll be yours. And I've always thought it was interesting how Elijah just knew that he was being taken up, right? Because we don't get really any dialogue between he and God that explains that to him. It's like he just knows, I'm, I'm going to be taken up into the heavens. Mm-hmm. I've always found that interesting, too. So, yeah, they, they get over across the Jordan. They get out in the wilderness, wherever it is, and uh, suddenly, like, this chariot of fire, you know, comes down and scoops Elijah up, and Elisha yeah. sees it. and A big whirlwind is, mm-hmm. is what it says he's ascended into heaven in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, and then right after that, Elijah picks up the mantle that Elijah had, and he also parts the Jordan and passes through. Yeah, with and, his staff mm-hmm, and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's the moment where it's like, and so Elijah succeeded Elijah. 
Yeah, and then immediately we get two miracle stories. And and incidentally, I didn't go back and count this, but one of the commentaries I read say that we have seven miracle stories recorded for Elijah, and we have 14 recorded for Elisha. Right, kind of making the point that maybe maybe that's how we can track the whole double portion thing. Right. Receiving a double portion of his spirit. Yeah, so the first miracle Elisha does when he gets back is is people have tainted water, you know, dirty water that's that's uh and so he he throws a little salt in it and it cures it. Classic. Right up. Classic. Just tossing a little salt in there. I put a little pinch of salt in my coffee when I make it in the morning. Really? Yeah, just a little pinch. Really? It just knocks that bit. You know who I got that from? I don't. Alton Brown. A little pinch of salt. Alton, if you're listening, uh, I'd love to have you on the show sometime. We'll talk recipes and stuff like what, that. So what is that supposed to do? It Educate just, me. It just knocks the bitter off just a little bit. Okay. You don't want to make it salty. You just want a little pinch just to kind of make it smooth. Interesting. Same reason you put salt in your like cookies, you know, even though you don't want them salty. Yeah, makes... I mean, now we do, do we do do that in the Furio household, but salt and coffee. Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm gonna have to try that. You said doo doo, doo doo. Then, then the next miracle is one of my favorites of oh, all time. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. As a former youth pastor, I can connect with this one quite a bit. So, so he's walking back, and he's going back to uh, I think Jericho, somewhere along through there. And, um, and these kids come out of the, like out of the wilderness, whatever, like it says youth. And they start just taunting him. It's go bullies. away, bald head. It's go like, away. This is bullies being bullies. Yeah. This is just like middle school bullies that have never been put in their place thinking there's no consequences for their actions. And they're calling him bald, but it also like they're saying, go on up bald head, which, which kind of sounds like, Hey, why don't you go the same way as your predecessor? You know, it's time for you to die, in other words. Get out of here. Yeah. We don't want you. So, so Elijah calls a bear, or like two bears. Two bears. Out of the woods. And the bear just mauls the kids. Kills 42 kids. Oh my gosh. And then he just keeps on walking yeah. like nothing happened. Uh, glad that's taken care of. Man. I wish I'd had that ability, like... No, you Dealing probably with bullies. Probably wouldn't be here. If I probably would have abused ability. that power. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, back to the kings. Now we're we're back to uh we're Yeah, gonna... so now we're in chapter three. Uh chapter two is where Elijah was taken up, and then we get those first two miracles from Elisha. Mm-hmm. And then chapter three, we roll back to the kings and pick up with that narrative. That's right. And I'm going to use the name Jehoram. That's what is stuck in my head because I've been reading Alter's translation and he pulls straight from the Hebrew. So you're going to call, we're going to call the king of Israel Jehoram. Right. King Jehoram. So Jehoram, who is brother of Ahaziah, who is son of Ahab, becomes king of Israel, remember. And we're going to be in Israel most of the day today. Um, And then, and so what the story goes on to say that Moab had revolted mm-hmm. against Israel mm-hmm. and like stopped paying them tribute. I think it was a uh, sheep's wool. Yeah, and so it's really interesting. The king of Israel goes to the king of Judah, and mm-hmm. and again, kind of like we saw last week, really briefly, they team up, right? I mean, remember last time it looked like King Ahab having the king of Judah ride in the chariot and the armor while King Ahab went out with the troops, and he ended up being killed. Yeah. But we see something similar here where they, they team up for like a common purpose. And this is the same king of Judah, right? Jehoshaphat yes, was the same king. It is. So yeah. 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 So he's, Which he's is still, pro- it's probably more of a testament to 
to Jehoshaphat than yeah, it I is think so. to the king of Israel, his willingness to work together with people. Yeah, it seems like he wants to at least have a semblance of a unified Israel, right? So anyway, so he's like, sure, let's go. Well, which way should we go? And he said, oh, let's go through Edom. Yeah, I mean, you get the same thing too. And so King Jehoshaphat of Judah is like, well, is there not a prophet around here that could like maybe point us in the right direction? Right. So they go through Edom and they pick up the king of Edom, which at first it doesn't seem like, like you wonder why are we going through Edom? It seems out of the way, but they go through Edom to pick up the king of Edom. And, uh, and so now there's three kings. And because they've gone the long way around, they run out of water mm-hmm. and they get like right up on the doorstep of Moab, but they everybody's start, they starving start freaking and thirsty. Out. Yeah, the Lord has brought us here to hand yep. us over to, to the king of Moab. And that's when Jehoshaphat says, isn't there a prophet somewhere where and we can you, ask? And you've heard that before. He said that exact same yeah. thing last week yeah. to Ahab. Yeah, so Elisha. Right. He comes on the scene. Comes on. He's like, hey, don't worry about this. Tomorrow God's going to hand them over. And also, by the way, this whole valley is going to be filled with water. Yeah. And sure enough, the next day, water starts to flow from Edom and fills up all the wadis is what my version said. I'm assuming just pools and creeks. creeks. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. And so the water comes just like Elijah said. So everybody has plenty to drink and eat, presumably, the next morning. But also what happens is as the sun rises... It reflects off the red rocks around the desert, and it reflects off the pools of water directly to Moab, and the people see it, and they think it's blood. Mm-hmm. And the people of Moab see it. Yeah, the people and, of yeah, Moab. The people of Moab see it, and they think it's blood. And so they say, you know what must have happened? Those three kings all went at each other. And we won, and we didn't even have to do anything. And so they go down there to check it out. Yeah, I mean, it says, <laughs> now, now Moab the spoil, right? And so they all leave the fortified city and go down there. And then, excuse the pun, it becomes a bloodbath. Yeah, I mean, like it so, does. so Israel and Judah and Edom wipe them out, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that story. And it, it kind of ends with the king of Moab, and and you need to remember this because the the god of Moab, as um, it, I forget I forget the god's name of Moab, but anyway, the god of Moab requires child sacrifice, and the story kind of ends with the king of Moab sacrificing well, yeah, his own child. Yeah, so the the king of Moab saw that the battle was not going to end well for him, right? And so he thinks if he if he uses his first son in a burnt offering to his god, that that's going to change something. So that's what he does, and I'm pretty sure it says he did it like on the walls of the city, so everybody could see. I think it was on the walls of the city, and it's Molech. I think is mm-hmm. the god of the Moabites, mm-hmm. and uh, I might be wrong on that, but so it, yeah, so that's how that goes. Then we get back to some stories about Elisha and his miracles, and right. a lot of them are going right. to sound a lot like the stories of Elijah. Yeah, it's really similar. I mean, we have, at the beginning of chapter four, we have a story of Elisha and and a widow, right, which should ring some bells. And then we have mm-hmm. another story right after that where he raises a, sh- a woman's son. A woman's son, yeah. Yeah. So the widow was a widow of one of the prophets that followed Elisha, as I understand. So one of one of his band dies. His wife comes to him and says, uh, now, you know, my husband's creditors want to take my sons in order right. to pay back the debt. They want to take my children as slaves. As slaves. Yeah. yeah. So he says, well, just go to all your neighbors, gather up all the empty jars you can find. Don't just ask for a few. He says, like, get all of them. So he, she goes and gets all the jars, and he says, take what jug of oil that you have and start filling up these other jugs, and it won't run out until you run out of jugs. Mm-hmm. 
And so she does. And she sure fills enough, it up. Yeah, she collects enough oil. She gives it to the debtors and Pays she's able to keep her sons. So then we get the introduction of this Shunammite woman and her husband who can't have children, but who take care of Elisha every time he comes through. And apparently they had some means. And so she suggests to her husband, we should build a spare room just for Elisha so that when he comes through town, he has a place to stay in a bed that is all his own. And they build that up on top of their house, like a upstairs bedroom. Right. Like an add-on attic. Yeah. Yeah. Finished out the attic, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Turned threw, out, threw some insulation up there, ran the HVAC, did did the whole nine yards. Look, turned that 3-2 into a 4-3. Popped in a toilet and a sink. Yeah. That's what happened. So anyway, over the course of time, Elisha's like, thank you for the kindness. Is there anything I can do for you guys? And she goes, well, we can't have children. And then all of a sudden, this starts to sound a lot like Hannah and Samuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he says, you know, well, within the year or whatever, you're going to have uh, a son, and she does. And then and then later, and this goes on, kind of like the story of of uh, Elijah. Yeah. So remember, Elijah was with a he was riding out the drought with a widow and her son, and the son fell ill and died, and right. Elijah raised the son from the dead. Yeah. And Something it, similar happens here. Yeah. There's no drought, but but the son dies. Yeah, the son goes to his dad out in the field and is like, my head, my head hurts or whatever. So he, he tells the servant, take her, take him to his mother. And then and then he ends up dying in his mom's arms. And, and his mother goes and lays him on Elisha's bed and then sends a messenger for Elisha. Right. And he comes back and he heals him. And he, he does the same thing that Elijah did. He lays over him yeah. and, and the child wakes yeah. up and like sneezes seven times yep. and- uh, it's just, it's very, very similar to yeah. the story of Elijah raising a boy from the dead. Yeah. And then the miracles continue. There's a, right after that, there's an unrelated story of, of, uh, some folks, um, making a, like a community pot of stew and somebody, you know, put some poisonous gourds in the pot. And, and this is all kind of, it's, it's confusing a little bit. But people realize that it's poisonous after they're eating it, and they say there's death in the pot. Uh-huh. And so I forget how he fixes it, but he, he puts something in Well, he in gets it. some flour, oh, and that's he throws it. it into the pot, and then there was nothing harmful in the pot after that. And then it's edible. It's similar to the water. Yeah. I mean, water that you can't drink, throw some salt in it, fixes yeah. it. Death in a pot, throw some flour in it, fixes it. Yeah. And then another kind of unrelated miracle is, you know, immediately after that, uh, someone shows up with 20 loaves of bread to give him as like a gift. And he goes, well, give it to the people. And they're Mm -hmm. like, well, there's not enough to feed all the people. There's like 100 people. What are we going to do with 20 loaves? And I'm imagining 20 loaves are like small rolls, not not huge Mm -hmm. loaf bread kind of deal. But anyway... He just says, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's, it out. it's a feeding miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very similar to Jesus on the hillside, right? With the very people. similar, you know, and they keep passing it out. And it's so similar, in fact, that even um, Elisha says there's going to be some left over, and there is. Which, again, if you know the, the feeding narratives that we find in the gospel, is very similar. Yeah. I mean, already you should be able to see that not only is Elisha going to get more screen time, he does more more little stuff. And mm-hmm. I don't I hate to call it yeah. little stuff because it's not little stuff, but you know what I mean? More stuff that's that feels like it's outside the greater narrative. It feels l- little, I think, partly because Elisha doesn't get the 
Accolade. Accolade. <laughs> I was going to let you have that word. Yeah, I appreciate that. For those of y'all listening, he was talking about accolades before we hit record. And, uh, Listen, I don't get much, but I did come up with that word. It's a big word. I appreciate you coming up with it. So Elisha doesn't get the accolades that Elijah does. And so it just Even seems though like- Elisha does more. Like e- even though there's more miracles like we already talked about. So I, I just think that's an interesting yeah. dynamic yeah. going on. Yeah. So we're going to get a lot of those just kind of like one paragraph random miracle stories that don't seem really to connect. Um, yeah, I mean, that feeding of the 100 men is is chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. I mean, it's just a short little real story. Real quick. Yeah. Yeah. But it's significant. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's just interesting. All right. So now we move back in the narrative to the kings and commanders and, and the chronology of what's going on. And we're in chapter five now. We're chapter, five, chapter five. And again, we're in Israel, not Judah. And we get Naaman, who is the commander. I said Israel. Where he's actually the commander of Aram mm-hmm. of or Aram mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the Arameans. And, and it says that he has a skin blanch. And so the, the NIV that I read calls it leprosy, but Alter made a point to say it's not the same word as the regular leprosy. And it doesn't appear contagious in the sense that he's still living in his family and things like that. Yeah, I mean, my version says it's a, it, it says leprosy, but then there's a note and it says it's a term for just a severe skin disease. Right, yeah. So anyway, so he's got this this skin blanch or whatever it is. And he happens to have a servant girl in his home who was kidnapped from Israel some years earlier. And she goes, you know, there's, there's someone in Israel who could fix this. There's this guy yeah, uh, that could probably do something about this. Yeah, you should go see him. And so uh, Naaman sends word to um, Jehoram, king of Israel, and says, hey, I'm coming so that you can heal me. And, and the king of Israel's he tears his clothes and he's like, "Who do you think I am yeah, that I you can that you can come to me and I'm going to heal you of this skin disease?" He thinks that uh, the Arameans are just provoking a fight, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to give reason mm-hmm. to have a, a war. Anyway, Elisha catches wind of it. He he calls him and he, and he basically he doesn't even see him face to face. He just sends a messenger, if I recall, and tells him, "Look, go bathe in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be fine." And again, and I think I mentioned this to you earlier, to me, this story feels like another instance where the king of Israel forgets about Elisha, forgets about a prophet, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I, I get that maybe it was seen as like a way of provoking a conflict, this this question and this messenger, but I don't know, you would think that the king of Israel would be like, oh, Elisha. We should I need, go get him. I, I need Elisha instead of saying, "How could you ask this of me? This is so you know beyond my means." Mm. And tearing his clothes. Yeah. So Elisha tells Naaman, "Go bathe in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be fine." And Naaman is like, "What? What a ripoff! I yeah. thought he was going to come out. And I thought like, you were going to wave your hands over my skin yeah. and invoke the name of the Lord. Some and, kind of magic." dramatic was going to happen, yeah. and then I was going to be healed. You just want me to go bathe? I'm not doing that. Maybe fire from heaven, something so, like that. So he's, he begins to leave. Yeah. And, and and his servant is like, uh, why don't we give it a shot? Let's just, we got to cross the Jordan anyway. Why don't let's we? Let's give it a try. Let's, uh, let's, it, I think the servant says, if Elijah had asked you to do something difficult, yep. you would do it. You would have done it. So why don't you do the easy thing and just see what happens? Yeah, and in my reading this week, I mean, my reflection on that was how often do we miss God in the ordinary, mundane, 
every day of life because instead we're looking for these pyrotechnics. We're looking for the huge moment, right? And we miss the day-to-day blessings that might, you know, might come our way, right? Yeah, so often for us to be a part of the work of God, we have to do the ordinary. Yeah, yeah. How often do we miss that just because we're instead thinking that it has to come with these bells and whistles? And anyway, so Naaman gets healed. He's so yeah, great. He, he ends up going to the Jordan and bathing and doing what, I think it was like dunk yourself seven times yep. or a certain number of times, and then the, your skin would be healed. Yep. So he's so thankful that he goes back and and uh, and begs if he can pay Elisha. And Elisha's like, no, I'm yeah, not be, taking payment. Because it says earlier that he brought all this money with him, yeah. expecting to, to have to pay. Sure. So he's healed. He goes back to Elijah. He's like, hey, what do I owe you? So Elisha says nothing. Uh, I couldn't take anything. And, and Naaman says, well, then at least can I take as much dirt as two mules can haul because I never want to sacrifice anything again except to the God of Israel. And I would like to have dirt to take back with me to build an altar to the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then I, what he goes a step further and he says, except please forgive me for the times that I have to go with my king into the the temple of whatever the God's name is. Ramon. Sure. Yeah. Ramon. And he says, so when my king kneels down, I'm going to have to kneel down also. Please forgive me for that. Yeah. And, and Elijah says, go in peace. I love that. Elijah says, go in peace. Golly, what an awesome. So it, like, here's what I'm noticing about this little section today is all those major conversion stories are coming from Gentile people, mm. the Shunammite woman and her husband. This, you know, Naaman, who's the commander of the Aramean army. I mean, and like we said last week, Jesus points this out later on, you know, that that what we're seeing, these these huge faith moments during the stories of the kings all come from people who shouldn't have these kind of faith moments, well, right? W- once we get through all the content for today, we're going to talk about a little bit the role of a prophet. And one of the roles is to give hope. Yeah. And if you listen and read carefully, it seems like the hope is being given to Gentile people in this Elijah narrative. Yeah, not to the Israelites. And to point out that contrast, what what happens immediately following is Gehazi, who is Elisha's servant, servant, correct? Yeah. Almost like a protege as I as Mm -hmm. I gather. thinks to himself, wow, we should have gotten some money yeah, out of that deal. I mean, deal. He, you kind of get a little inner dialogue. My master's let that Aramean off too lightly by not mm-hmm. accepting by not accepting the money that he offered. So he tracks him down, comes up with a story, and ends up coming back with some clothes and some silver. And uh, Elisha goes, hey, where you been, Gehazi? Oh, nowhere. I haven't been anywhere. Yeah, I haven't been anywhere. I've been yeah. here. Where have I've you been? been? I, yeah. Just walking <laughs> around, man. What you doing? <laughs> Elisha's like, dude, I totally know about the silver and the clothes. Yeah. He says, is this a time to accept money and to accept clothing? So basically his curse is uh, that that skin blanch, that leprosy that Naaman had, guess what? It's yours now. It's going to hang with you and your descendants. Oh, man. Yeah. But again, I mean, I think it's so important to notice the contrast there, right? The hope is given to the Gentile. Yeah, you're right. Well, because I think you could say because the faith, like the act, uh-huh. the humility, you know, all of that is from the Gentile. 
So that's chapter five. We roll into chapter six and we get kind More of miracles. A, another standalone miracle. It's not really connected to the to yeah. the greater narrative. Yeah, and you know, I don't even know what you do with this, but but basically, uh, Elisha's uh, prophets in training, they're his disciples say, hey, we don't have enough room here. Can we go down to the Jordan, cut some trees, and build some houses? And he's like, yeah. And they go, hey, why don't you come with us? So while they're cutting trees, the axe head slings this is, off the this handle. This is so great. It, Fall, falls in the creek. Right. Falls in the river. They can't find it. And it's valuable because metal, you know, was well, valuable. And, and it also says, yeah, alas, master, it was borrowed. Yeah, so, we had so borrowed his this prophet axe is, head. His his protege is freaking out because it's not even his, right? It's something yeah. that he borrowed from somebody. Elisha's like, no worries. He throws a stick in the water, and then the axe head floats. And the dude just grabs it off the top just of the water. Grabs it off the top of the water. That's so great. What a, <laughs> what a great little story. And it seems like, I mean, like, okay, that seems kind of pointless. But if it's if it's a valuable thing, and not just that, but it's a hindrance to them being able to build homes and stuff like that, yeah, it's a meaningful uh, miracle. This this commentary says that this is reminiscent of a stick or a tree in the same word in Hebrew is used to transform bitter water into sweet after Israel escaped Egypt. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Chapter six, after this axe head story, goes on, and this is like a great, great follow-up. I'm trying to get to the exact entrance. Okay, so chapter six, verse eight. eight. So now the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, um, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. And um, God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing through that place. So basically it was like a like an ambush. Right. An, an ambush like you have seen Israel do over and over again to their enemies, like a surprise attack. Yep. Someone's trying to pull that that gig on Israel. And Elisha warns the king of Israel not to go through there, so it right. never works out. Right. So the king of Aram is like, what's going on? Yeah, well, he he goes to his men, his officers, and he's like, all right, which one of you is working for Israel? And they're like, none of us are. There's this prophet named Elisha, Elisha. That's, yeah. that's telling the king of Israel where we are. So he sends an army to Elisha. This is so good. So this army like sets up siege around the town where Elisha is, and Elisha's uh, servant or one of his proteges says to him, "You know, wow, we're in we're in a really tight spot. Yeah, we're in trouble now." <laughs> and Elisha says, "Don't worry about it. You can't see that our numbers outnumber them." And so then he prays to open his servant's eyes, and he looks and he sees in the mountains like this whole army of chariots. All these and, horses and chariots yeah. and, and swords. Presumably like a spiritual angel army, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that that uh, that comes down. <laughs> and one of the things I wrote down here is that um, Elisha never runs. You know, where we get several stories of Elijah running away from from Ahab and and we just don't get that. Yeah, with Elisha. Elijah flees, right? I mean, remember the the precursor to that famous encounter that Elijah has with God on the mountain in the silence. Right before that, he's fleeing the wilderness because yeah. he's tired and burned out and afraid and and ready to die. Elisha always comes across as either nothing to lose or just confident or always cool. And Yeah, I mean, the word I used earlier is that to me, Elisha just feels a little bit more sturdy. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
Built different. Built different. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what happens next is awesome because Elisha says uh, he basically blinds the whole army. So uh, the army is blinded. He goes out and he says to them. I love how he says it, too. He's talking to God. Strike these people, please, yeah. with blindness. God, would you just handle this? <laughs> handle my light work. <laughs> so he struck them with blindness. So then Elisha goes out and says, hey, you guys came to the wrong town. But if you follow me, since you're blind now, I'll take you to the right town. Yeah. And he takes them to Samaria, inside the gates, presumably. And, and then opens their eyes, and about that time is when the king of Israel says, hey, should we just kill all them yeah, now that I we mean, got them? I mean, is now the time that we just kill all of them? So basically what had happened was Elisha took them all as prisoners of war, and they didn't even know it. Peaceably as prisoners of Until war, they right? opened their eyes like, and like, find— Like held their hand and led them to <laughs> within the walls of Samaria. Yeah. And then opens their eyes and they realize— They're surrounded by oh, crap. the Israelite <laughs> army, right? <laughs> so, and, and Elisha says to uh, uh, Jehoram, no, don't, don't, you wouldn't kill POWs. Yeah, we don't— Instead, we should we're, feed them. We're past that. Right. Instead, we should feed them some bread and water, and and the king of Israel goes one step further and creates it, like makes a feast for them. And so it says, from that day forward, there were no more raiding parties from Aram sent to right. It's like Samaria. that fixed the problem. But then the very next line says, shortly thereafter, the king took his army to Samaria and set siege against it. So maybe not a raiding the, party, the, but the king of Aram, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. 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 It d- it didn't take long for a little bit of retaliation to hit. So Aram. Aram puts Samaria under siege. And I don't know if you guys have have listened to history podcasts or read any stories about, you know, just what happens in a community when it's under siege for a long time. Yeah, and I feel like we read that in these stories and we don't think much of it, but it was a it's starvation. It's twisted. It's a long, slow, psychological It's twisted. Like you see the army outside the gates every day and you know that inside the walls the food and the water is running out and that it's only a matter of time and it gets worse and worse and worse. And there's a story here and it's in chapter 6 to illustrate just how bad it got. Yeah, I mean, this is it a a woman goes to Elisha and she tells a story. It's right. to the king. It's not to Elisha. She oh, goes right. to the king. The, the king is like walking. He's like walking the streets, mm-hmm. and a woman runs up to him, and she's like, "A woman yesterday asked me for my son so that we could eat him, and yep. then she promised me that we would eat her son today, tomorrow, yeah, the right? next day, yeah." And now I can't find her and I can't find her son. Yeah, she's hidden her son. So we ate my son and now we don't have anything to eat for today. And she's she's reneging on the deal. And uh, the king tears his clothes, it says. And when, and when he tears his clothes, it is revealed that he's wearing sackcloth under his king mm-hmm. robes, which seems like. It seems like a little nod, right? A little positive little affirmation That's about Jehoram. That's what it feels there. like. That's what I mean. It it does feel like that. But he's angry, and he says, uh, "Today I'm going to have Elisha's head on a on a stick." And so he sends you know messengers to go get Elisha, and again Elisha doesn't run. 
He tells the folks in the house, hey, shut the door so the messengers can't come in. But again, that's worth pointing out because yeah. when Jezebel wanted to kill Elijah, Elijah ran. ran. And when, when the king of Israel wants to kill Elisha, he doesn't. And and granted, does he really have anywhere to run? I don't know, but he knew he's, they were coming. He's in a city under siege. But still, it's a different reaction. So So he has the door shut and locked. And while they're at the door, he says to him, look, go back and tell Jehoram, you know, by tomorrow you'll be able to buy flour and grain and it'll be like dirt cheap. And and it had made a point earlier to say that that even horrible things like like the head of a donkey or um yeah, like it says uh, a a head of a donkey was sold for 80 shekels of silver. And then the next one depending on what translation you're reading either says carob pods, which is kind of like this bean pod that grows on a tree over there and it it doesn't smell that great. I've actually mm-hmm. ordered a, a bag of them before in order to use as a sermon illustration. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to pass these out. But they smelled so bad that we decided not to do that. <laughs> Called an audible, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Alter says that's not that's not really what it's talking about there. It's it's um, it says uh, like a pod of pi- a pigeon pod, mm-hmm. which he he takes as uh bird poop yeah and this says this has something to do with a dove which yeah, yeah similar so anyway the, the point is there was no food none like the fact that elijah would say tomorrow food will be plenty and cheap was an outrageous statement and then the messenger doesn't believe him he's like how, you know how could this be what you know how's that going to happen and well he says even if the lord this is the messenger even if the lord were to make windows in the sky could such a thing happen this is great because then Elijah goes, oh, and by the way, all that stuff's going to happen, but you're not going to get to enjoy it. Yeah, he, his response <laughs> to the messenger is, you're going to see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to get to taste it. You're going to die. Anyway, so let's move Yikes. forward with the story. Let's see how this unfolds because it is a lot of fun. So there were four lepers living outside the city. So you imagine them with their backs against the city walls. They can't go in because they're lepers. And they can't go out because there's an army besieging the city. And so they don't have anywhere to go. And so one day they're like, you know what? We're going to die anyway. Why don't we just go over to the Aramean camp and just. Yeah, it's it's basically a moment where the four of them realize they have nothing. No other options. They might as well try to enjoy the last days of their life. Yeah, so they're thinking maybe if we go over there, we can submit ourselves and they'll take us in and they'll feed us and, and things like that. And if not, they'll kill us, but we're going to die anyway. So what's the... Right, Wh- whatever. And they get there and God has scared off the Aramean army so much like like they heard footprints or whatever, like hoof Yeah, I mean, it says that they God made them hear the sounds of armies surrounding them, right? Like yeah. the sounds of horses and chariots. And so they right. think that that uh, Samaria has called in Egypt and all these heavy hitters yeah. to come and assist them. So the Arameans are like, we're getting out of here. And so they abandon everything, right? So they don't pack up their camp and leave. Nope. They just hop on their horses and leave. They leave food and money and clothes and tents and so everything. These, so these four <laughs> lepers walk up on this camp and like they go from the, the bottom of the bottom to the top of the top, right? I mean- 
you you painted it perfect with like how we should picture them this rolling is into this so camp. Great. I mean, so they have the whole camp to themselves, including the king's quarters, right? So I'm imagining these four guys like puffing on cigars, sitting in a jacuzzi, wearing robes, that's sipping like for really the king. expensive bourbon, <laughs> and just like guys, we have gone from the doghouse to the penthouse. In like one hour, eating some like smoked gouda and caviar, oh and gosh. like just all of it. They are living their best Shucking life. Shucking oysters <laughs> in the hot tub <laughs> with a stogie. I mean, can you imagine? Like they're just walking tent to tent, finding cool stuff. Like, oh, I think I'll take this. And and next thing you know, they're carrying more than they can carry. You know, just and at some point, one of them says, "Hey, um, I hate to ruin the party." But we should probably go tell Israel what what's going on out here. Because if we don't, if we don't go tell them and they figure it They're out on their find own, out. Yeah. we're going to be in trouble. Yeah. So so they go back and they tell, like, again, they can't go in the city. So there's a, there's a guard up on the gate and they yell to him, hey, um, there's no one at the Aramean camp over here. You guys, just just a quick FYI just for, for all you guys in the city. We're over here living large. They're gone. And by the way, our stomachs are full. And <laughs> we're gonna go take a nap. But we, we just wanted to let you all know. We just wanted to let you know that they're all gone. <laughs> and they don't believe them. So the king is like, "Okay, we'll send a small guard over there." Yeah, they, well, to they check it obviously out. think it's a trap. They right? think it's like, a trap. Even if the camp is empty, then they're hiding somewhere and they're going to ambush us. So they, I think, the king gets like five men on horses to go and check it out. So they get. <laughs> this is so good. So they go check it out. They come back. They bring word. It's all true. Word spreads through city like wildfire, and of course, you can imagine everyone is starving. Oh, yeah. So there now it becomes like a just stampede. Like, it's like on Black Friday when Walmart opens oh, at God. midnight or whatever. And I mean, and yeah. and it's like that in a bunch of sad ways because the messenger had been appointed to be the gatekeeper, so he opens the doors. And he gets trampled. So exactly what Elijah said was going to happen happens, right? It says that the food, the barley, and, and whatever else Elijah mentioned was sold for the price he said it would be sold for on that day. Yep. And the messenger saw it, yep. but was trampled at the gates of the city. So he never he never got to enjoy it. I mean, I am just seeing like carloads of of people getting out in the Walmart parking lot, just like beating down the door. What a story. And that poor, like, 17-year-old minimum wage employee Golly. has to unlock the door. <laughs> that poor, poor soul that has to open Best Buy. <laughs> That's what happened to the messenger. And anyway, so God rescued Israel that day, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's where chapter seven ends. So really chapter six and chapter seven, most of it roll together into one big story. It's a pretty great story too. It's Golly, so, I love it. so good. So we start chapter eight and we're back with the Shunammite woman. Yeah. And, and so remember, she's the one who had built Elisha a bedroom and whose son died and he rescued her. And, and so he seeks her out this time because he catches wind from God that there's going to be a famine. And it's just kind of like a passing story almost. But but he tells her, hey, you might want to go find someplace else to live for the next few years. I think it's seven years. And so she does. She goes down to live with the Philistines, which, if you're unfamiliar, would be down on the Mediterranean coast. And that's where she lives and she survives uh, with the Philistines. So just another touch base with, in case you were wondering how the Shunammite family's doing, 
they're doing all right. But they're, they're but, living on the coast now. Yeah, they're doing all right thanks to Elisha. Yeah, got a little bungalow down at the beach and mm-hmm. still got plenty of food while everyone yeah. else is hungry. They're hanging out. They went south for winter. Yeah. So then we have um, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gets sick. And I don't remember the details of that. Is it just that he got sick? Did he have? Well, it, it just says that, that he was ill. And, right. and when it was told that he was ill, he turns to his servant Hazael and says, go inquire of the man of God who he had heard was in town, mm-hmm. right? If I'm going to recover from this illness or not. Yeah. Yeah, so I gather that Hazael might have been some kind of official or commander, and so when it uses the word servant, it kind of is, is like, you know, like I am your servant kind of thing, but not really like a, a servant kind of person so much as someone that might have a little more influence because Hazael uh, consults Elisha about the king. Ben-Hadad is the king. Oh, and we're talking about the king of Aram, not Israel. Right, right. The, the king of Aram, and, and this is a servant of the king going to inquire of Elisha if the king is going to recover from this illness. And Elijah says, yeah, he he's going to recover from the illness, but, but, he's the, still gonna die. but the Lord has shown me that he's, he's going to die. And then Elisha is crying, and Hazael asks him why, and he says, because I see what you're going to do to the people of Israel. So he, he says, the king is going to die, and Hazael, you're going to become king. And then Hazael's response, well, he says, Elijah's looking at Hazael, and he starts to weep, and, and Hazael asks why, and he says, because I know the evil that you're going to do to the people of Israel. You're going you're gonna to set their fortresses on fire. You're going to kill their young men. You're going to um, rip up their pregnant women, is what it says in my version. Yeah. And then Hazael's response is, what is your servant who's a mere dog, right? How in the world am I going to do those things? And then Elijah says, the Lord has shown me that you're going to be the next king yeah. of Aram. Yeah. Which almost feels like the tail wagging the dog, right? Yeah. And so... It's almost like he'd never even thought, yeah, oh, so, wow, the king's sick. I could go kill him and become king. And so Elijah goes, until now. yeah, Elijah, uh, Hazael goes back to the king, and the king is like, well, what, what did he what tell did he you? And so he says, well, he said that you were going to recover. But then the next day, Hazael took the bed cover, dipped it in water, and smothered the king to death, and then he became the next king of Aram. It's one of those things where, if Elijah had not said to Hazael that he was going to be the next king, he wouldn't have done that, right? I mean, it seems like he wouldn't have done that. I don't know. I mean, again, which came first, the thought in his head or like, it, was it a vision that God gave to Elisha? And if Elisha hadn't shared it, would it still have, it seems like a self-fulfilling um, prophecy. Yeah, it's to me, that is, that's like an itchy story to me because it, it just feels like maybe the smothering was avoidable, but should, I don't know. You should preach on that sometime this know. fall. It'd yeah, be good. It'd be a fun sermon to preach. Yeah. I'll, I'll come listen to that one. It'd be fun might be an interesting <laughs> adjective there. And then, so <laughs> Hazael becomes king of Aram and, and then we're right back into, uh, the 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 old 
Uh, we're kind of back into like setting everybody straight with who is king where and where we are on the timeline. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The old repetition uh-huh. of, of now so-and-so uh-huh. became king when so-and-so was king in Judah for this long or whatever. Um, and so we're, we're, we just kind of wrap it up. So we get back to Judah. And it says, in the fifth year of Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, began his reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old uh, when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He walked the ways of the kings of Israel. It makes a point to say that uh, he was married to Ahab's daughter, Mm -hmm. and so he kind of acted like Ahab. Um, And, uh, you know, then it's kind of like, oh, well, the rest of that story, if you want to read about it, is in the annals of the king of Judah, and you can read about it if you want to. And I mean, another important thing, I mean, we're wrapping up, but another important thing in chapter eight is that it makes sure to tell us that Edom had revolted. Yeah. During Jehoram, king of Judah's reign, Edom revolted. And I, I think that Edom might Edom revolted against the rule of Judah. Right. Yeah. And I think that might be important to remember because you go all the way back to Genesis. And remember that Edom is another name for Esau. And you might remember Esau and Jacob. Jacob. And Esau sold his birthright, and um, Esau got duped, remember, by Jacob and sold his birthright. Yeah, but then also right after that, Jacob dressed up as Esau, killed a goat, pretended to be Esau, got the blessing from his father Isaac, and then part of the, I'm going to use air quotes here, the blessing that Isaac gave to Esau was that you'll basically constantly be in rebellion against your brother. And so, I mean, that's exactly what we see. It's a, a, it's another, like, it's just a touch base with, oh, by the way, uh, Edom, the country that has descended from Esau is in rebellion against Judah, Mm -hmm. the country that descended from Jacob. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just a, just a touch point there. And then it, it wraps up by telling us the last king of Judah, at least the last king in chapter eight, uh, is Ahaziah in the 12th year of uh, Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 22 when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. So not too great. It also makes a point to say that uh, uh, his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He walked in the ways of the house of Ahab mm-hmm. and did evil. So because he w- And it makes a point to say because he was related by marriage to Ahab's family. Ahab, they Ahab, keep drawing Ahab, him man. back, right? Ahab, Ahab. So, uh, yeah, the rest of uh, you know, the rest of Ahaziah's. It ends with then Ahaziah's son. Excuse me, then Ahaziah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, never mind. Sorry, we'll cut that part out. We're back. I don't know. I don't know where I was going. This is what happens when I'm trying to read while I'm also trying to talk. So, I mean, I feel like we covered a pretty big swath of narrative today. So much to cover. Like and just thick narrative to walk through. So I was thinking, I was asking myself, what kind of pulls all this together? What's the common thread? And um, I, th- I think today's story, at least, really kind of revolves around Elisha and his uh, relationships with the kings of Israel and Judah and uh Aram. Yeah, and another way to say that might be Elisha's role in the narrative or in the lives of the people as a prophet. Absolutely. Because we're, we're still kind of exploring, right? I mean, we've seen prophets before Elijah and Elisha, but we haven't really seen prophets quite like this. 
The prophets before, I think, were people who were also like God-chosen leaders, like Moses. Right. Like even maybe David, you could say, to an extent. People that wore more than one hat, right? We're at a place now in the history of Israel where there is a clear distinction between the political power, the the king, mm-hmm. and uh, the theological power, which it comes in the in the form of a prophet who speaks power. I mean, speaks truth to the king. Right, and sometimes the prophet and the king are on the same page, and sometimes the prophet and the king are not on the same right. page. Yeah, and we've seen people like Nathan before and things like that, but. But here, I think Elijah and Elisha serve to introduce us to the role of the prophet moving forward. And we're going to see a lot of that through the rest of the Old Testament. And one of the things we've mentioned here before is that you'll remember the Hebrew scriptures are ordered a little bit differently than our Christian Old Testament. Um, And and one of the, the ways that I think theirs might be a little more helpful than ours is they group first and second Samuel, first and second Kings in their book of the prophets. And when you get through Kings, then you start rolling right into some of the prophets who chronologically were living and speaking at the same time as these Kings. Correct. Yeah. Right. In the English old Testament, we're going to go, or in the Christian old Testament, we're going to go back to, uh, First and Second Chronicles. We're going to rehash the history again, right? And then we've got Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. You know, like we've got a lot of these other stories before we really start getting in earnest into the the truths that the prophets were saying to these kings. True. Yeah. And so Elijah yeah. and Elisha, um, I think, really just introduce us to that whole role. Yeah, and the role is. I mean, we have it up on the board is to to give hope. Yeah. And to criticize. And to criticize. And again, I, you know, I think often we misunderstand the role of a prophet, and we think that the role of the prophet is to predict the future, or the role of the prophet is to... Float axe heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. Those are all like the side things that happen out of their primary roles of speaking truth to the kings and giving hope when there's no giving, hope. Giving hope to the hopeless, again, yeah. which is kind of what we pointed out earlier, right? The people that needed to be criticized in today's readings mm-hmm. were the people of Israel in power. And right? a lot of the future telling comes in that those criticisms to uh, those in power who are abusing their power or giving hope to those without hope, saying, you know, God's going to restore you and your family, whatever, or God's going to punish you and your family. Right. So, right. And by the way, those those two things uh, can, be, can be read about extensively in Walter Brueggemann's book. I cannot uh, suggest this book enough to you. It's called The Prophetic Imagination. It's a really short little book, easy to read. Especially if you are wanting to get a deeper look into how should I understand texts in our scripture that center around the the life and work of a prophet. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll bring it up again when we actually get into the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you know some of those, and, and moving forward, we'll get into that a little bit more. But go ahead and have that on your radar. It's an amazing book. It's it's easy read and, and very, very helpful. Whew, what a day. Oh. What a day. I have had so much fun today. I'm going to do like one of those lepers. Uh, I'm going to go find a jacuzzi somewhere or a swimming pool. Get a big stogie or a light pipe. Light up a big fat cigar. <laughs> and then I'm going to start barking orders at everybody that happens to walk by. Well, before you get on to that, I need to get out of here. So It's been a lot of fun, guys. Yeah, it's been a good time. Thanks for listening. Bye.
you <laughs> please tell me you recorded every oh, bit of yeah. that <laughs> it's all there <laughs>